All right, Mark chapter 1 is where we're at in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. And when you get there, let's read together through a passage of Scripture. We give a little review and we will move forward on this uh, in this series. Mark chapter 1, this morning beginning with verse 9. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the song service that we've had gathered together today, singing your praises and Lord, worshiping you in our hearts. And Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that Derek and Kristen just sang about that is so precious to us this morning. Lord, we are sinners, guilty but you have given us forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. And Lord, that's what this gospel is all about. Lord, I pray that you will direct our thoughts this morning. Help us, Lord, to be helped by this passage of Scripture today. May your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into these truths about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in our our, our series on following the servant Son of God through the gospel of Mark. If you remember when we started this series, we went all the way back to the beginning. That's what the first verse of Mark chapter 1 says, is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that the world has been waiting on for centuries had arrived. This gospel is one of the accounts of that happening. When Jesus came, though, we talked about in that message that it was only the beginning of his work on the earth. This Gospel of Mark is the beginning of the beginning. Jesus Christ has been working for over 2,000 years in this world, bringing people to himself, working through his body after he went to heaven and sat upon the right hand of God. And we talked at length about what that meant, the right hand of power Jesus is sitting on. We saw that long before this Gospel beginning, God has been up to something. Through a very long, very long process, God established the nation of Israel. He established the law. He established the prophets in order to bring in the one who would establish righteousness. True righteousness in this world. Bringing in the kingdom of God. Conquering, we talked about, first of all, this human heart. That's the kingdom, the first kingdom Jesus came to conquer was that heart that's inside of you and inside of me that so desperately 
desperately wicked. And that is what we desperately needed. He gave us a new heart. And He put His Spirit within us. And then we saw that Jesus came. We saw this a couple weeks ago. And we saw it last week. And in Malachi 3.1, Malachi prophesied, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. God promised this much to the Old Testament. He promised the coming of this one. He foretold of two messengers that would come. Of course, this first messenger who came was none other than John the Baptist, who we see here in the first part of this Gospel of Mark. And then the messenger of the new covenant. And we we won't take the time to do it, but you can see there in chapter 1 of Mark, verses 2 and verse 3, this messenger of the covenant is Jesus Christ Himself, we see in verse 9. Jesus came. And last week we saw that He came from a very interesting place. This Jesus Christ of what? Nazareth. Nazareth of Galilee. And we talked about the importance of knowing what that means. And up in the northern part of Israel, there where it's red on the map, is Galilee. Very, very different from the southern part of Israel. Down in Judea. Different culture. Different in history. Different in political status. And the people down south there didn't really appreciate very much the people up north. And you couldn't even really probably have a prophet come from that part of Israel, much less a Messiah. And yet we talked about how that applies to us and, and, and what it shows us about our God, that Jesus is Jesus of Nazareth. And here is where he grew. And here is where he emptied himself and was a man among men and had chores and work to do. And he humbled himself. Jesus came from Nazareth. Jesus came. Today, let's look at Jesus came from Nazareth. Number two, Jesus came to his baptism. Jesus came to his baptism. Again, go back with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 7. Mark chapter 1, verse 7. Let's go back to verse 6. It's talking about John clothed with camel's hair. With a girdle of skin about his loins, John the Baptist did eat locusts and wild honey. Verse 7. And he preached, saying, there's coming one mightier than I. After me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not even worthy to stoop down and unloose. I have indeed baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. The baptism of John. Here's John, this prophet, baptizing people in the Jordan River down in Judea. The baptism of John was not done, first of all, it's mentioned, to receive salvation from sins. The work for that was coming. The baptism of John is it's like the baptism today. No baptism can save anybody. We know that here at Valley Baptist Church. The waters of baptism doesn't save one soul. It doesn't cleanse away any sin whatsoever. It's a sign, right? It's, it's something that we do. It's something that's extremely important to do. Our Lord commanded it. And this baptism was no different. Its purpose was an exercise that produced repentance. You know, repentance in 2018 is still important. Repentance 
It was the message of John the Baptist. It's the message of Jesus. Repent. Turn from your ways. Turn from your ideas and your thoughts unto the living God. Repent. Baptism, this baptism was an exercise that produced repentance in order to prepare for a ministry that was going to issue in forgiveness that we just heard Derek and Kristen sing about. That was going to issue in remission of sins. What Jesus Christ was going to do. There can be no remission of sins, according to the Scriptures, apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Amen? There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. So we know that this baptism was not for salvation. But you know, we've often heard the phrase, and maybe you've heard before too, how can we look at this baptism? You know, we often say, a man must become lost before he can become saved. Have you ever heard that phrase before? A man must become lost before he can become saved. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, we, of course, we know that people are already lost. They're, they're born in sin in my mother's womb. I was conceived in iniquity, David says. We all need the Savior, but men don't realize that, do they? They don't know that. They don't see that truth, and they must realize their need for a Savior. Men must realize that they're unclean. That they're a sinner. John was water baptizing Jews. And to them, to the hierarchy, to the people in the temple, to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this was a scandal. It's important to understand the background of what's going on here. This is a very humbling thing for these Jewish people to be doing. You remember in our message last week, we saw that, that John wasn't calling people into the temple. To repent. He wasn't calling people into Jerusalem even. He was calling them out to the wilderness. Here's this man dressed in, a, in animal skins, eating locusts and wild honey. Crazy things going on. And yet it's a spiritual revival that's taking place. Spiritual revivals are always marked, always marked. You read about them throughout history by people falling flat on their face before God, crying out, God be merciful to me, a what? Sinner, I repent, repent, repent. And that's what's going on here. And Jews are coming to be water baptized. The Jews had a ceremony that they would do with water, but it was never Jews who had to get that cleansing because Jews weren't filthy in their own eyes. It was the Gentiles who were filthy. It was the Gentiles who needed cleansing. And they would go through this water rite in order to come into Judaism if they were proselytes. But not the Jews. Well, John was calling the Jews themselves to come and be baptized and to repent of their sin. And so this was humbling to them. Men must become lost before they can become saved. You know, isn't this a way of our Lord throughout all the Bible? Isn't this just like God who He humbles us before He can work with us? Have you ever had that happen in your life? God has to many times take us down a few notches. He has to hurt our pride in order to be able to actually do something with us. He tests us. He shows us the pride that we have that we're so blinded to. And that's probably that's what he was doing here with the nation of Israel. I thought of an example of this. Maybe something as simple as coming to an altar to pray in a service. 
You know, it's a humbling thing to walk before a group of people and bow at an altar before God and pray. Isn't that a humbling thing to do? And yet sometimes our hearts are so lifted up with pride and maybe we're burdened about something and maybe there's something that that we know God, we want Him to work, but yet God's telling us to go down to an altar and pray. Well, but we don't have to pray at an altar. Do you agree with that? We don't have to pray at an altar. Amen? You can pray in your pew there. But sometimes maybe God's doing something small like that to just show us maybe we're full of pride. And He wants to humble us and then begin to work through us in a mighty way. Now, I'm not preaching about praying at an altar this morning, but it's something to think about. We could give illustration after illustration after illustration. God does these things. He humbles us, that we need this humility that we need so desperately. Well, John declares in verse 8 of our passage, I have baptized you with water, washing, repentance, but He is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. John's ministry, again, was producing repentance that was leading unto remission of sins. And he was declaring the coming of the one who was going to do what needed to be done to allow that to happen. And Jesus, verse 9, came. Jesus came. And he was baptized. Now, the question we have next is, why? Have you ever thought that before? Why did Jesus get baptized? What did Jesus need to repent of? Did Jesus have sin in his life? What's going on with this baptism of Jesus Christ? You know, Matthew, some of the Gospels give us some more information that Mark doesn't give us. Mark is boom, 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 giving us bullet points and uh, giving us the stories. Let me put a verse up here for you on the screen. Matthew tells us that when Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him, but John forbade him, or forbade him, saying, wait a minute, I have need to be baptized of thee, and you're coming to me? Jesus, you, you're coming to me to be baptized? Now this is really something, because this John is a true prophet of God. Do you know John the Baptist may be the most powerful greatest prophet in the entire Bible. Now that's saying something because we had some great prophets in the Old Testament. But it was Jesus himself who said there was no greater among men born of women than this John, John the Baptist. This is a true prophet of God, a fearless man. There's a great revival going around, coming into Israel through this man, John the Baptist. And yet this prophet gives recognition and declaration of the sinlessness of this Jesus Christ, of Nazareth. He looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I forbid this. I have need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me to be baptized. So the question is, why? Why was he baptized? Let me tell you why. Jesus was baptized as a repenting, confessing, humbled soul. That's kind of shocking to hear, isn't it? Did Jesus have any sin to repent of? No. Well, then whose sin was he confessing? Whose sin was he repenting of? Mine. Yours. The whole reason Jesus came to his baptism, he came just like everybody else came, repenting, confessing, humbling himself, 
but not for himself. The sins were not his own sins. Jesus was identifying himself with sinners from the very start of his ministry. Identifying himself with sinners. Here is the true servant of God coming from Nazareth, taking upon himself the burden of human sin, counting it even now at his baptism as if it were his own sin. The Bible says that Jesus was made sin for us. He was numbered with the transgressors. And that is what we desperately need. We needed him to come and be numbered with us. God sent his own son to take on human flesh in order that we, I'm sorry, in order to die for the sins of all his people. The eternal word of God came down to become one of us in order to take our sins upon himself as if they were his own sins and die for those sins. This is the only way to deal with the problem of our sins and of evil. This is the only way to deal with it. People are trying to deal with it in many other ways, many different ways, all over the world today. They have been for many, many years. This is the only way to deal with it. God became man. God took upon himself human flesh so that he could die. Last Christmas, we said something quite often around here that it's a good thing to remember. The reason for the season. What is the reason for the season? A good answer to that question is, the reason for the season is Good Friday. Good Friday. Because Jesus came at Christmas, born as a baby, a human baby, to grow up in the flesh so he could die for your sins, for my sins. So he could secure your salvation. So you could be forgiven. Forgiven of your lies. Forgiven of our lust. Forgiven of your pride. Forgiven of that bitterness that you hold in your heart toward that other person. Forgiveness of all these sins that we have within us. He was made sin so he could take it all upon himself and all the wrath of a holy, righteous God could fall upon him. And it all has to be paid for. And Jesus paid it all. Therefore, all to him we owe. All of our sins are transferred upon him at the cross. So here he is at his baptism. From the very start, identifying himself with sinners. That's what it's all about. Spurgeon said this really great quote, You stand before God as if you were Christ. Because Christ stood before God as if he were you. You stand before God as if you were Christ. Because Christ stands before God as if he were you. Is God merciful or what? And gracious and good and kind to us. This is what the baptism was all about. Now I want to change gears for just a moment and talk about something that leads into what I'm talking about here. I want to talk about Halloween for a minute. Halloween? What the world's that got to do with Jesus' baptism? Well, hold on. What about this Halloween? Should we celebrate Halloween? Should we not celebrate Halloween? Well, that's not what I want to talk about. Even though I do believe, and I'm all for redeeming everything in this world to Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen? You know, I gave a little history to the teens in teen class a little bit ago about Halloween. 
And it's very interesting to note, first of all, that Halloween is smashed right in the middle of two Christian holidays. Did you know that? On November the 1st is All Saints Day. And on October 31st is Reformation Day. And the night of October 31st is what we call today Halloween. Um, All Saints Day was a day that was, if you go back in history, the early Christians were being martyred for the faith. They were commemorating these Christians. They were trying to remember them. They were, they were, but it got to be so many that they couldn't keep up with it. So they established a day where they would take and, and remember the martyred saints. And it became All Saints Day. It was, it was uh, the day after Pentecost originally, and then later on was changed to November the 1st. And they built this cathedral. And, and uh, so it's a Christian holiday to remember. I'm all for that. How about you? Matter of fact, I'd be all for giving out tons of candy and even dressing up for that. How about you? Yeah. The Reformation Day. We know what that is. Last year was the 500th anniversary of the, uh, the beginning of the Reformation when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the castle in Wittenberg. And what, a, what an event. Now, we don't agree with everything. that He was coming out of Catholicism and all that, but how God used those times. And we're benefiting today in America because of the Reformation. Because of the Reformation. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians decided, you know what, let's throw a big party right around this time and, and, and we could dress up in costumes. Maybe we'll dress up like Martin Luther or something. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't want to do that. And give candy out. And, and you know, all of these things, as far as dressing up, dress up like a crayon. Sure, dress up like an M&M or, uh, or whatever. Um, I, we all have to make our decisions upon these holidays and all. Um, we, 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 could, we could do all kinds of stuff with them. But what my point is I want to get to this morning, we do have a problem, and that is this thing of horror. Horror and the infatuation we have in our society of death. We have an obsession in our culture and a huge market for horror. And all that that entails, which pops up this time of year, um, it's a powerful enticement and a fascination and a love for death. So why? why? Why why do we have this? Why do we deal with this? Where does this come from? And again, there are things that we're tempted with all over the world, and, and, and it's just universal for everybody, but, but when it comes to this depraved darkness, this horror that we're seeing in America, it's kind of unique to us right now in the West. And it's, there's a huge, again, a sign of that is the market for it. The Hollywood movies that are coming out and all of these things. What is that? You know, Proverbs 8, 35 and 36 says this. Those who find me, talking about wisdom, find life. But all they that hate me love death. Love death. If you hate wisdom, you have a fascination with death. Folly, foolishness loves and is attracted to death. Why is that? Well, let me give a suggestion this morning as to why these things are the way they are. I believe the main problem, and I was reading someone else who was writing about this, and I believe they're on target here. The problem that we're having is G-U-I-L-T, guilt. Guilt. We are a nation of guilty people, and we know it. We know it. 
We're steeped in sin. And more specifically, we're steeped in sexual sin. And we're guilty, we're guilty, we're guilty. And what do we do with this guilt? I remember R.C. Sproul, I heard him speaking one time on, on a video, and he said when he approaches lost people, that's one of the main things he comes back to, is what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? Because we all have guilt. Because we're all sinners. What do you do with your guilt? The things listed in Scripture that we have to deal with, even as Christians. Paul lists these sins, and he says you have to mortify these things. You have to mortify these things. You have to kill these things. And what are those lists usually made up of? There's a number of things, but almost the majority of those things are sexual sins. Things like lust and sexual immorality and impurity and evil passions and evil desires. And when people do not follow the wisdom of God, when they do not follow the scriptures in dealing with these things, then they simply turn to other things to try to relieve themselves of guilt. They're feeble things. These people are, and maybe it's your case this morning, they're guilty and they've sinned and they feel dirty. And one guy said it, I think it's a great term, they see themselves as damaged goods. And then they keep piling more guilt on guilt because they keep being tempted. And they're trying to find relief and happiness and they just can't find it, so they keep bringing more stuff upon themselves and they're more guilty. And then added to that, the sin of abortion. Because abortion is nothing more than a sexual sin. Folks, it's a very true statement that sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. Young people, listen to me. Sin's attractive, isn't it? For all of us, it's attractive. It's tough. It's hard to say no to those sins. And the devil's flashing those lights, and you're going to miss out, and you're going to look like a fool. The Bible says the opposite. It says if you go that way, you're a fool. Wisdom listens to the Scripture. Wisdom looks down the road. Sin will always take you further than you ever dreamed. And here we have all these people who've listened to the devil. They've listened to sin, and now they're guilty and guilty and guilt on guilt. And what do they do? We have an epidemic today of our young people, and maybe you've heard this term called cutting. Cutting. I won't get into the detail. We have young ears in here. But you know what I'm talking about. Where we have, we have people who are literally hurting themselves. And by the way, I believe against this backdrop of all this is demonic spirits. There is a devil. But why do they do that? Why would people hurt themselves because they're trying to find some release from their guilt in their own human and feeble and frail ways. It's sad. What do people do with their guilt? I believe these horror movies, this darkness, this gothic stuff, this really Satanism, I believe is another way. That many people are trying to relieve themselves of their guilt. Horror is sort of like this. An emotional release, the word for that is catharsis. Purging. Feeble attempts at purging their own sin like self-inflicting punishment in order to pay for our own guilt. I'll go ahead and place myself in some kind of self-inflicted purgatory in order to try to deal with my own guilt. Now, I'm not saying everybody who watches a horror movie is having guilt problems. Of course not. There are some people who just are adventurous people, I guess. 
I told the teens they're like those people who take a nine volt battery and stick it on their tongue. Let's give them a shock. You know, they just like that kind of thing. They jump out of airplanes and and a bungee jump. Okay, we get that. Not everybody who watches a horror movie. Now, I wouldn't suggest watching them for any reason. But there are those who are inflicting themselves because they're trying to get rid of guilt. And so there's this pseudo justice. And they place themselves in some vile, dark blood and guts situation as if they were trying to enter into death themselves. And there's a judgment and there's blood and there's slaughter and there's death and there's sacrifice. And then the person leaves and walks away alive. Why such a draw to our young people today of suicide? Because of guilt. Many times because of guilt. Isn't it ironic that the answer for all of this guilt is death? sacrifice, and blood, and bloodshed, but not our own. There's one who came to take all of that upon himself. He came to his baptism in order to identify with you and with me. He came to his baptism confessing sins, but not his own. Your sins and my sins. I'll never be able to relieve myself of the guilt of my sins, ever. I can't do it. I can try this, I can try that, I can mutilate my body, I can watch the worst horror movie in the world, I can get involved in uh, dark, satanic things, all of this stuff to try to relieve my dirtiness, my filthiness, and I can't do it. Jesus is the only one who can. That's why he came. That's why he came. Jesus paid it all. Jesus came to take our guilt and do what needed to be done with it. He came to die so that we might have Life. Look at John chapter 10, 10 and 11. The thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Can you say amen to that? We see it everywhere. We see it everywhere. The thief is death. The thief brings death and destruction and he's killing and he's stealing and he's destroying all over the place today. But I am come that they might have what? Life. And that they might have not just life but have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life, his life for the sheep. Someone said, all the evil in all the world will be fashioned as a mighty spike driven into his hands and his feet. A Roman spear driven into his side. All the evil in all the world will be a Roman scourge whipped across his back. As a crown of thorns beat down upon his head. Horror. That is horror, isn't it? But it's his horror that he took upon himself so that I might have life. So that I might really be free from guilt and free from sin. All of this horror surrounding us is nothing more than a lost world crying out, help. Help. Help me. It's a plea for those who will proclaim the gospel. Who will proclaim it? Who will proclaim it to the people around us? If it's not going to be us, who's it going to be, folks? That's why it's so important to proclaim this gospel with our lips, with our lives, to live it, to speak it, this good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to his baptism. He came to his baptism. And then let's just mention this one thing here. 
Not only did he come to his baptism, but in Mark chapter 1 again, he came to his anointing. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 verse 10, And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus came to his anointing. What immediately followed his identification with sinners, his baptism? And at that moment, the Bible says in Mark, he was anointed for the service to which he had now dedicated himself. G. Campbell Morgan said his baptism was his act of dedication. The coming of the Spirit was God's act, the Father's act of consecration. Jesus was always walking in the Spirit, but this was something given to the servant, Son of God, in a new sense, in a new significance, new powers. The Spirit descended upon him, the Bible says, like a dove. Boy, there's so much in that. A dove is the symbol of gentleness. The gentleness and the harmlessness of Jesus of Nazareth. This was what was necessary in order to accomplish the work Jesus had to accomplish. You know, the Bible teaches us Jesus is God, amen? And our God is a consuming fire. Jesus will be seen one day again as that consuming fire. But when he came this time, he came as a dove. The dove is a symbol of gentleness, gentleness and harmlessness of Jesus in order to present himself as the sacrifice for sins. A dove is also the symbol of sacrifice on the lowest level. If you couldn't afford to bring a lamb or, or, or one of the larger animals, the poor of the nation could bring a dove and sacrifice a dove. Isn't that something? The sacrifice on the lowest level. Here Jesus is identified with harmlessness and sacrifice brought to the level of the poorest. Isaiah chapter 42, way back in Isaiah, the Lord prophesied, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up his nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. This one who will come, this messenger of the new covenant. Verse 11 says, there was a voice from heaven. Here in this voice, thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here the father himself speaks his approval of the one who would fulfill all righteousness in men. By laying down his own righteous life, giving them remission, giving them regeneration of sins, renewal. This is what God has been leading up to all of the years previous. And here he came. Here he came. Isaiah, long before on our verse that we just read, had written, Mine elect in whom my soul delighteth, the Father said. And here we see the voice from heaven. Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is how it came to be. This is the good news. The baptism was Christ's act of dedication. The coming of the Spirit was the Father's act of consecration, ordained to this sacred office of taking the sins of the world upon Himself. We'll stop here today for sake of time, and next week we'll see Jesus came to His temptation. His temptation. 
where he was truly tempted. Aren't you thankful for this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for what he has done for us? What about you today? How do you stand before Jesus? Where, where do you find yourself this morning? Maybe there's someone here today and you are burdened down with guilt and sin and you know it. And maybe you've been playing a Christian. There's others in this room who did the same thing with their life. Maybe you know, you know in your heart you need to accept Christ as your Savior. You felt this guilt in your life. You You don't know what to do with it. The pressure is great. Listen, run to Jesus today. You can run to Jesus Christ today. Be free from sin. As Derek and Kristen sang, forgiven. (laughs) Isn't it a wonderful thing to get a bath when you're dirty? And when you know you're dirty, you know you need a bath. And it feels a whole lot better when you knew how dirty you were. You remember it, right? That bath feels real good. You know, there are people today who are hanging on to guilt, sin. And they've done some wicked things. All sin is wicked before God. You know, you can be clean from that today. You can walk out the doors today forgiven, clean, cleansed because of Jesus Christ. Because of that good news that we just read about there in that scripture. Because he came to his baptism and was identified with sinners. And as we'll see as we go through this good news, went to that old rugged cross, shed his blood. That spear went into his side. So that we can have that release and relief from guilt. That's the only way. The only way. Would you humble yourself today? What about us Christians? Will we put our pride down? Will we let God deal with us and with our sin? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning and just have a time of invitation. In our hearts and minds, let's lift up for a minute as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And the reason we do that, of course, is to free us up from distraction so that we can take a minute and just focus on God, focus on His work, and focus on ourselves. So take a minute here this morning and maybe first of all today, lift your heart up to the Lord in gratitude and thankfulness for what He's done for us. Forgiveness so I'm not worthy of it. None of us are. But he's been so good. Thank the Lord that we have these gospel accounts where Jesus came. These things that that, that the Lord prophesied so long ago and it happened just as God said it would. He did it for you and he did it for me. And for a moment today, let me just say this again one more time. If there's someone here today and you're guilty, And you know you need to repent, turn from your ways, and follow after Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Let me just challenge you to take this moment right now and run to Christ. We always open up these altars during this time of invitation for you to come. And if you need to, humble yourself and pray. If you need to say, Lord, I'll do anything you ask me to do. And I'll pray for this thing that's on my heart. Ask for forgiveness, whatever it may be. Or if you need to come and talk with someone further about salvation, take advantage of this time of invitation. Let's stand together at our seats there with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The pianist will play for a moment on the piano. If you need to talk to the Lord, if you need to come to an altar, if you need to go talk with someone about salvation, 
The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you need somewhere to put your guilt, don't put it in a horror movie. Don't put it in a horrible act of hurting yourself. Maybe a young person here today who's been struggling. Put it on Jesus. He's the one who said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's what this was all about. Today's the day of salvation, but don't wait. Because one day it'll be too late. Jesus Christ came and the dove symbolized his gentleness, his meekness. But Jesus Christ, my friend, is a consuming fire. He is your greatest friend today, but tomorrow he's your worst enemy. Because he's the judge of this world. If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ today, you may not have another chance. I plead with you today. Cast your cares upon him. Put your guilt on him. Can we help you today? You come if we can help you.